Turn your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 2. Today is traditionally the Advent Sunday that celebrates or remembers joy. Why should we be joyous? Christmas is an announcement of victory, and in every victory there should be a feeling of joy, gladness. Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written in the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who shall who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. Behold, the star that they had seen when it rose, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I have called my son. Let us pray. Father, we are thankful that you have given us this day and this word. Help us, Lord, to see truth here that might help us. We don't want to get sentimental, but we wouldn't mind seeing enough light here that would excite us. We are already too sentimental and we need we need your word and your light to strengthen us and to guide us, to give us hope and understanding to equip us and strengthen our faith. Help us this day. For the glory of your Son, we pray. Amen.
Some of you may be aware there is kind of a controversial thing at Christmas time, particularly among those of the Reformed faith, those who are strictly Reformed, or what some people call truly Reformed, or TRs, truly Reformed. Don't believe that it's proper to, for the church to celebrate Christmas. They say there's no mandate in Scripture to do so. Um, I disagree. Every royal birth throughout history has been celebrated. So I don't know why we would think that the Bible does not there might not be an emphatic term, but it gives us examples of this was a royal birth. Angels heralded this, our Lord's birth. And we're going to see some very specific reasons or very specific things in this morning's message that just kind of, well, why didn't everybody celebrate? Because this child was born in a very dangerous time. He had to come in in a very clandestine way. It was by God's design for his purpose. Tuesday, the 8th of May, 1945. the day that Nazi Germany and the Axis powers signed treaties to end the war in Europe. People in France and people in Britain, people in Poland, people throughout all of Europe celebrated with great joy that victory over the enemy. Some of you may have seen films, videos of people celebrating as the troops came in welcomed into towns, people just screaming and shouting for what the Allied forces had done. America and Britain and Allied forces. What we are seeing in this text this morning is someone being introduced into a battleground. Here is the hero coming to save the day, but he's not quite ready. Let me introduce you to a cast of characters. We have from our text the Magi, or the wise men. We have King Herod. We have Joseph and Mary, and then we have the newborn king. The Bible calls them Magi. That's almost a direct word from the Greek, Mag. Magus literally meant astrologer. Excuse me, astronomer, wrong word. They studied the stars. They studied the heavens. And why would they do that? These men were from ancient Persia. They were in the east when they saw the star west of them, drawing them toward Jerusalem and Bethlehem. 
Now we think, we assume, tradition has always said there were three wise men because they brought three gifts. But it does not seem reasonable. These gifts were expensive, and travel in that day was dangerous. There were very often bandits on the road. They probably had an entourage with them. Security came along. Perhaps a small squad of soldiers, probably. Because when they came into Jerusalem, they were noticed. Jerusalem was a trade city. And were they anyone else? No, they saw camels every day. They saw travelers every day. They saw merchants come in every day. There's something different about these wise men. Brought their attention to the people. And they went to the palace to introduce themselves to King Herod. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. King Herod reigned from 37 B.C. to about 4 A.D. The Lord was four or five years old when Herod passed away. Herod was not completely, he was not fully Jewish. And that was one of the reasons a lot of the Hebrews, a lot of the Jews, never accepted him as a legitimate king. They considered him a traitor because he was supporting Rome, collecting taxes for Rome, taking the money and the wealth away from Israel and giving it to the oppressors. He was a distrustful ruler. He was jealous. He was brutal. He was ruthless. Here was someone who was given power, authorized by Rome, by the Caesar of Rome himself. But he was constantly afraid of conspirators in Jerusalem. He wanted to keep his job. He became suspicious of his wife when he suspected that she was plotting against him, so he had his wife killed. Three of his sons threatened his throne. He had them killed. He had another wife put to death, and his mother-in-law put to death because he was afraid they were plotting to overthrow him, to kill him, and take his throne. This was not a nice man. He was so hated by Israelites that he wrote a decree that when he died, he wanted leading Jewish citizens to be rounded up, put in jail, with a command that when he died, that they be executed. He knew that no one would mourn his death. He wanted some people mourning for some reason when he died. Thankfully, that rule was not carried out. It was circumvented after his death, and these people, prisoners, were set free. But according to Matthew's account, representatives from another nation 
appear before Herod to recognize a newborn king of the Jews. And Herod had already been killing people who were threatening his throne. So here the Lord Jesus was born at a time that was very dangerous, high risk. And by God's design and his purpose, the Father ordained that this child be brought into this world secretly. Almost cleverly. Verse 3, when Herod heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. People knew what was going on when they saw these people coming in. Magi from Persia with probably a protective squad of people to keep them safe. Assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. This was from the prophet Micah. One obscure text in chapter 5 pointed them to where this king should be. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly. He wanted the people to forget about it. He didn't want to bring any more notice to them. He didn't want to say, we know where he is secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And, and he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way and behold the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Herod tried to deceive these people. Our scholars have said that he, should be, he would be born in Bethlehem. You go and find, find him, and when you find him, report back to me so that I may worship him too. It's not in this text, but when Herod found out, it's later on in Matthew, when Herod found out he had been deceived, he sent soldiers in to have... All children two years old and younger executed in Bethlehem. That's how ruthless he was. They brought him gold and frankincense and myrrh. 
Gold is a worthy gift for a king. It spoke of his divinity, his holiness. It was very often, if you can remember the text that described in Exodus, that described how the temple was to be built or how the tabernacle was to be built, how much gold was used in that, and, how, and especially how the, te- the walls in the temple were covered with gold and ornated and hammered out to look like tulips. It was something hard to imagine. But it is a gift worthy of a king. They also brought him frankincense. That too was used in worship. In Exodus chapter 30, the Lord commanded Moses, You shall speak to the children of Israel, saying, This shall be a holy anointing oil to me through your generations. It shall not be poured on man's flesh, nor shall you make any other like it according to its composition. It is holy, and it shall be holy to you. Whoever compounds any like it, or whoever puts any of it on an outsider, shall be cut off from his people. God is talking to Israel about specific regulations for worship. The Lord said to Moses, Take sweet spices, Stacte and Annika and Galbanum and pure frankincense. With these sweet spices, there shall be equal amounts of each. You shall make of these, of ins, uh, make of these an incense, a compound according to the art of perfumer of the perfumer, salted, pure, and holy. And you shall beat some very fine, and put some before the testimony of the tabernacle of meeting where I will meet you. It shall be most holy to you. But as for the incense which you shall make, you shall not make any for yourselves according to its composition. It shall not be to you a holy... It shall be to you holy for the Lord. Whoever makes any like it to smell it, he shall be cut off from his people. A very fragrant... Spice used in the worship of God, specifically for him. Here this gift was brought to this newborn child. Not allowed to use it anywhere else, but only for worship of God. Something these men knew, given to them by the word of God, which they found through the libraries that were left behind by the people who were kept captive in Persia. They understood. They knew. Here was a royal king worthy to be worshipped. We see him someone who's born in poverty, like us. We see someone who was born lowly, like us. But they see someone who is worthy of praise and adoration and worship. No one else but this child. What was it like for Mary, raised in poverty, to have these men come into her home and bow down to her son? 
I don't know that she would have under what what Joseph, you let these people what did I wish I could have been there. Third thing they brought myrrh. Another spice. It's usually used in, it was usually used in the embalming process. Preparation for the dead for burial. This child came for a purpose. To be worshipped and to be sacrificed. Mark 15, 23, the Bible says, as he was on the cross, they offered him wine mixed with myrrh. Myrrh has a stupefying effect if you ingest it, and he refused to take it. They gave him gifts marking his divinity. They gave him gifts marking his priesthood. And they gave him gifts reminding us that he came to die. When they departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. Remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Christmas, Christmas is an announcement of victory. This newborn king who came to give you and I victory is something we need to remember. And I don't think there is any sin in celebrating it appropriately. Throughout history, the church wanted to win the hearts of the people, so the church started bringing in worldly things and kind of trying to twist them to make it look like they were holy things. And there's so much that we do like that today. There's nothing wrong with remembering family because this is a good time for family to be thankful for what the Lord has blessed you. But if we're going to celebrate Christmas as a church here in the sanctuary, let's remember him and him alone. Christmas is also a time of great joy. If you remember last week when we talked about Christ providing peace with God, because the lost souls of this world are under the wrath of God, and many of them who acknowledge the existence of God are clueless to the danger they are in. They think that, well, God is a good God. He would never, he would never want anything bad to happen to me. In fact, he would help me get whatever I want. It's just amazing how many evangelical Christians believe that. 
But that's not why he came. He came to stand, he came to take away the wrath of God so that we might have peace with the Father. He came to take away the sin and the guilt in your life in order that we might stand before the Father in righteousness and holiness. He came to give his life for yours. So Christmas is an announcement of victory. And you might ask, victory over what? Or victory over who? There are some clues from Scripture. Many of us remember the story of Daniel. And Daniel's life, Daniel's ministry was marked by prayer. He was threatened with life. Stop praying or we're going to kill you. He kept praying. One particular event in Daniel chapter 10, he had been praying for some time and then someone, the God sent a messenger specifically to answer his prayer. Daniel chapter 10, this messenger said to me, fear not Daniel for the from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humble yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have, become, I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. This messenger was sent to answer Daniel's prayer. And who was this prince of Persia? Satan, the serpent. He wanted Daniel to be discouraged. He wanted Daniel stopped. He didn't want to see Daniel get his prayers answered. There is spiritual warfare going, and you might think I'm a kook, but I'm not. There are spiritual warfare going on even now that we are not, we do not see, but we need to be aware of. Daniel calls Satan the prince of the kingdom of Persia. He could also be called the prince of the kingdom of Babylon. Now, Babylon was an historical, a historical city, a historical entity, a ruling class of people that conquered Israel, conquered most, much of the Eastern world. But it is also a picture of the whole world in rebellion against God. Revelation chapter 12, this is not something that is going to happen. Revelation chapter 12 describes us as something that has happened and something that is still going on even now. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. 
His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God in which he was nourished for 1,260 days. These are vivid word pictures of something that actually happened. Spiritual warfare reaching into this earthly realm. I don't think it's specifically talking about Mary and the Christ child, but the church, the believing people, the faithful, producing the Christ child. And the dragon wanted him stopped. And he used Herod to try and attempt it. But in God's providence, that child was rescued and kept safe. Paul called Satan the prince of the power of the air. Daniel called him the prince of the king of Persia. Revelation, John calls him the ruler of Babylon. But we need to remember that as Isaiah 9 says, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father. Of the incense of his government and the peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it and with, ju with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. This child whom we commemorate every December 25th is your king. There are a lot of people who claim Christ as their savior who say, well, I've made him my savior. I've not made him my Lord. He is your King. When he is your king, your priorities change. You finally realize that life is not about me, but life is for his glory. That's why I love our catechism so much. That first question clarifies so many things. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Your priorities change. When you are tempted to sin because he is your king, you are reminded by his word and the Holy Spirit that he is my redeemer king. He's taken away my sins. He's taken away my shame. He's taken away my spiritual poverty and giving me life, why would I surrender to the temptations of this world? When you are told by the rulers of this world, by the rulers of this current Babylon in which we live, and when you compare today with the historical Babylons, it's hard to distinguish between the two. When you are told by the rulers of Babylon... All right, I'll say it. Joe Biden. 
you must not worship. You must not gather to worship. My king tells me, I must not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. We are commanded to worship to God together, not at home, on Zoom. We are commanded to worship together. When we are commanded by the rulers of Babylon not to preach the gospel, then we were reminded in Acts chapter 4, when Peter and the apostles were told not to preach in the name of Christ, they said it is better to obey God rather than man. He is your king. He may not deliver all of his children and keep all of his children safe in this earthly life. But he is still your king and is worthy of your worship and obedience. C.S. Lewis is a fan of mine and I really enjoy his work. And some of you might remember in the Chronicles of Narnia they were asking the beavers, is a great lion? Is he safe? This Aslan figure, this Christ figure, Aslan the lion, is he safe? And they tell him, oh no, he is not safe, but he is good. Our God could be described the same way, that obedience to him is not necessarily safe, but it is good, it is right, it is proper. I heard this last week another teacher, Bible teacher, preacher, pastor, talking about what Christmas really is. It's a celebration of an insurrection. Prince of the power of the air is more or less in charge of things here on this earth. And we are part of the resistance. And Christ is our commander in chief. Some of you remember the stories of World War II when the Axis forces Germany and Italy came in to take control of countries and lands in Europe, resistance movements, underground movements, did everything they could do to thwart the enemy. That's what we are to do as believers, as a church. We are a resistance movement. We have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our our confidence steadfast to the end. It's Hebrews 3, 1 John 2. Now little children abide in him that when he appears we may have confidence 
and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Life as a believer, particularly in this day and age, might not be safe. But being faithful to the Lord Jesus, our King, our Savior, is good and it is proper and it is right. Christmas is indeed an announcement of victory and should be celebrated with great joy. For what we have in him eternally is better than what suffering we might experience here temporarily. Shall we pray? Lord in heaven, we are thankful for your word and its power and its truth. And we pray that as we celebrate, we may remember why we celebrate you have blessed us with family, with loved ones. We cherish the memories that we share. They bring us great delight and great joy. But Father, let us not be so, so distracted that we forget what you have done and the danger you exposed yourself to in order that we might have everlasting life. We praise you, Lord Jesus, for the gift of life. Amen. Let us